Welcome to the Wanting It More podcast. I'm Jana Denton House, and I specialize in helping women who are married to men want and enjoy intimacy more. So if you've ever felt like it was a chore, even though you really love your husband, you are not alone, and this is the show for you. Join me as I have open and honest conversations about sex, marriage, and everything else in the bedroom. I promise to never tell you to just do it, spice things up, or buy some lingerie. Let's get started. All right, so we are back with another hopefully really interesting and fun conversation. We just never know where these conversations are gonna go. And that's what I love about this podcast. Today, I have invited Melissa Lynn to come join us and have a conversation. And we're gonna kind of vaguely keep our conversation around the idea of what happens to sex after kids. That's something I hear from uh, you know participants of wanting it more over and over again, is that they like sex before kids come around, and then after kids, it just, all the desire is gone, the interest, the excitement, and there is this feeling of kind of wanting to go back to the good old days or getting back on track, so to speak. So we're going to grapple with that today. And so before we do, Melissa, do you want to share a little bit about your story, um, whatever you feel comfortable sharing about your family life or what you do? and maybe a little bit about how you arrived here at this conversation. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So um, I grew up in a Catholic family. Um, so religion definitely had an impact on my views around sex and my comfort level with my own body. So I would say I was basically taught that it was dirty and wrong to touch myself or feel pleasure in any way, which again is, is another common theme. Um, so I think because I was a little bit of a rebel, I kind of went against that and was very sexual as a teenager. I took a lot of pride in having a high sex drive. Um, with my first super long-term boyfriend, he had not slept with anybody else, but I had. And so I even had a baseball hat with the name De Fleur on the back for deflowering. And I was damn proud of that, right? And so to fast forward to where my husband and I ended up seems so crazy to me because going from feeling like I had spontaneous desire all the time and engaging in being curious and enjoying trying many different things in many different places um my husband kind of feels like it was a bit of a letdown once we got married <laughs> because that certainly was not the case so I, I told him that I was going to be coming on to this podcast. And I said, so like, when do you think it was exactly like that our sex life started to kind of tank? Like, and he was basically like, mm, as soon as we got married, <laughs> like as soon as we got married. But then as we thought about it a little bit more, we moved in together the first year that I started teaching. And we got married at the end of that year. So I gained 25 pounds. I was smoking like a fiend. I was up till God knows what hours in the morning thinking I had chosen the wrong career. So there was no time, patience, any kind of desire whatsoever for that whole school year. And the fact that he still married me that summer... <laughs> leads me to believe I never have to worry about him ever leaving because it tanked right then and there. So, um, so then I was really trying to reflect on like, okay, so if it tanked then, did it improve as I got more experienced in my career? Did it get a little bit better before we had kids? My husband said, 
not so much. You were very stressed out most of the year. Summer months tended to be better. And we would be outside like adventuring a bit more or camping. And so you would generally be more relaxed and able to focus on pleasurable things and not just stress. But then I think when things tanked even more was once I became a mother. Because it's like your whole focus shifts to meeting the needs of your newborn. And all of a sudden, the needs um, or time or even thought about your partner almost becomes like non-existent because you're so wrapped up in trying to figure out how to be a mom. And when you have kids that don't sleep or breastfeeding issues or, you know, you're, you're trying to get it right and ours would never sleep. So she would only sleep if she was on me or in a sling. So if I was getting a break, she was in a sling sleeping on him or she was in a swing and one of us would be sleeping beside her on the couch trying to get some sleep on the swing. So you're completely touched out. And we hear that a lot too, right? About women just not wanting to be with their husbands because they are so touched out and just want their body to themselves. So I have four kids and they're very spread out. (laughs) So my husband said it was wonderful when we decided we were trying to conceive again and he accepted the increase in desire for those periods, but then it would almost be non-existent again until we decided to get pregnant again. And my kids are literally like two years, three years, and then almost four years apart, right? So that's a very long time to be nursing. I nursed all my kids until they pretty much self-weaned. So close to three and a half, four-ish. So breasts were off limits. Didn't want anything to do with that because I was in mom mode. And mom mode, not really a sensual, sexual place to be. So. Yeah. Then once some of them started getting old enough that they would be able to hear if we live in a bungalow. So that's another factor in terms of privacy. It's very interesting when you think about it, that the excitement of being with someone new and wanting it all the time often is related to like not getting caught, not getting caught by parents as a teenager, not getting caught because you're out in more publicy places in tents or campgrounds or I don't know I didn't really do it anywhere a boat once I did it on a boat once <laughs> but, everyone wants to know right um but then like a sailboat a ferry it, it was it was a sailboat it was very cramped on a little cot under what I don't even know sailboat terms I, I only I in wasn't the galley? With very long I like the galley no that isn't that the kitchen <laughs> I don't know in in the head I know that's the bathroom <laughs> no it definitely wasn't there it was it's, some type of pot there was lying down involved so it it's funny that how crazy. that's almost like a rite of passage or a gold standard to have that you have sex in strange places like the mile high club mile high club what is that about maybe it's just a cultural I don't know example of newness or different or exciting change yeah like almost like the more not exotic but like Mm -hmm. the more interesting place it can happen makes it more exciting so there's like I definitely think there's something to be said about the chance of getting caught. Mm-hmm. Pre-kids. That, that doesn't work with teens in the house. You're not it doesn't excited. Work with teens. <laughs> so, so again, right? So you've got all the hormones, you've got all the excitement of new love, you've got trying it in different places and not getting caught at parties or parents or sneaking off wherever, right? 
uh, though I did get caught once sneaking out of the house. I, uh, I tucked like um, pillows under my blanket and went to my boyfriend's house, rode my bike to his house, and I left my alarm on. <laughs> so then I came home. Or no, she figured out, obviously, that I was there, called and made him come home with me so we took the bus home and she sat us down and she made us go to church together <laughs> good, good um confess. make it all better <laughs> yeah confess um but yeah so how does it go from being all about the excitement of not getting caught to that being the excuse for never wanting to do it because you could get caught. I'm curious if it comes down to motivation. So you had a certain motivation to have sex before work and kids. And then when you wanted to conceive, then you would have that motivation. And the motivation to feel relaxed or nourished or pleased for ourselves doesn't really exist in culture. So you having a stressful experience at work or a new job, it wouldn't probably occur to you that, oh, if I had this time to decompress and relax and be with my partner, it would actually help me do my job better and help me feel more connected. Uh-huh. And I think that's that's what I was grappling with with some friends the other night in our in our warrior small group. So we were saying, is it because pre-marriage um, it wasn't spontaneous desire like we originally thought we did have, but that there were more opportunities for us to have responsive desire? Because you had more time to lay in bed, listen to music, have a couple drinks, um, be at bars, dancing closely together, um, the excitement of picking, picking people up, right? So you're around so many more experiences that provide the opportunity for you to respond to. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're going to work and you're looking after the kids and you're passing ships in the night because of different schedules, um, like those opportunities are never there. And if, if that inkling, that little inkling of desire, like, hmm, I'm feeling kind of amorous or desiring or whatever, horny, whatever word you want to use, right? It was like too much effort mm-hmm. to like go see out or there was too much worry about expectations of the typical form of sex that would have to be happening, right? So like maybe you might feel kind of turned on and just want to touch him, but not want it to turn into intercourse or orgasm. The whole production. Right? yeah a whole production mm-hmm. and so then you would just not ever right. reach it it's like uh the sex hasn't evolved into what you need now and you're thinking it's gotta feel like before and it's gotta look like before and that doesn't fit your life anymore or you should be wanting to do the things that you did before and you don't because they're not bringing you the same pleasure, joy, satisfaction as before. Like having sex so, in a boat. Like having sex in a boat, right? Well, now we only have a canoe, so that really wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Put a tent in a canoe. How Canadian of you. <laughs> With a Tim Hortons cup in your yes. hand and, <laughs> and a flannel. and Yeah. Though, I did bring a vibrator camping. And when they all went off on a hike and down to the beach, had a nice little, nice little moment for myself <laughs> under the towel on. on, the, on the, That's fantastic. So, it's, how did that change? Did you still have solo experiences after? Uh, yeah. So that's a real. That's a really good point. So, 
this brings us right back to where I first started talking. Um, so I was 24 before I ever masturbated. Because remember, I was taught that it was evil and wrong and dirty. And I met a friend in university who was a very sexual woman. And she brought me to Lovecraft. I don't know if you have them out in, <laughs> out in BC, but it was, it was pretty big around Toronto. There were quite a few places. Uh, um, and so I got my first vibrator and went home and tried it with my husband. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. So, but I would never even consider doing it alone. Um, it was always only with him and it felt again, a little bit like that, like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, this is like risque, right? That risque feeling really creates desire for me, obviously. <laughs> and, um, so then when did I start feeling comfortable using it myself? I don't even remember exactly where that shift occurred actually I do it was when I started working part-time and so I would have some days where the kids were not at home and I was like I'm just gonna see what this feels like and so I could start exploring a little bit more but it was still never any kind of physical touch on my body it was just hand on the vibrator and then I could orgasm quite easily and then I would text my husband and he would be so proud of me and be like oh, where were you how long were you doing it for right and so then that helped build up my confidence with it being a healthy normal thing um but then I started resenting like having to tell him because I started recognizing I shouldn't have to be like not getting permission, but like getting validation from him that what I was doing was okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You felt that need to check in with, I completely relate to that experience. I felt the same way. Like when my husband comes home or if we have sex, I kind of, and I'm like, eh, I don't really need an orgasm today. I almost feel like I need to explain why or yeah. Or like justify it yeah or, or, yeah like and that makes a lot of sense that we would do that because we're taught that men sort of own the sexual department and we're and there. they're the ones that need to orgasm to That's feel right. fulfilled so ours Whereas, is like a an extra like a frivolous experience it's a bonus it's a bonus it's a bonus yeah and so if yeah. we would do that then we almost want to yeah, I don't know if it comes from guilt or shame or something, something cultural for sure. Or like, why do you think so many women fake it? Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So it's the same, 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 isn't it? Yeah. So women fake orgasm so that the men feel good about themselves. Would you say that? Yeah. So maybe us wanting to tell our spouses that we had an orgasm, we almost want to offer it to them. Like, is it like a gift or is it a permission or what is this about? Yeah. Like, why are we sharing? Why are we sharing the fact that we orgasmed with them to make them happy? Who cares what they think about it? We're the one that just experienced the pleasure. So why does it feel so good for them to be proud of us for doing it or to be turned on mm -hmm. like, cause it turns them on. Right. Yeah. Like your husband asking more questions and wanting mm. to kind of get into the moment with you. My husband now knows not to ask any questions mm -hmm. if I do tell him because that will take me completely out of my pleasure. But yeah fascinating mm -hmm. lots to unpack and now I find that I don't even do it like in those nice relaxing very rare times by myself sometimes if my mind is racing at night and we're we're not we're still not sleeping in the same bed so that also contributed to a lot 
of the distancing in terms of any kind of sexual intimacy. Um, we had finally gotten the seven-year-old out and then his appendix burst this year. So my husband went back to the bunk bed with the puppy and the other dog. <laughs> and my son is still in here. But sometimes if I'm, uh, my thoughts are racing at night, I'll be like, I think I need a good orgasm just to relax and go to sleep which like before would have been like completely unheard of for yeah. me to do that, right? To see the value in doing something sexual so to relax. You, yeah, I completely relate to that. How did you make this shift then? So if we look at the timeline, you were sort of having sex to pro, you know have children and probably once in a while to kind of do it because it's a good thing to do you know a good in air quotes or doing it because his moods about not doing it were getting out of control so there's another piece to my story that I didn't mention as we fast forwarded to kids but um as a teenager I was in a relationship where I was date raped So that really affected um, things in a positive way, actually, because I realized like in that situation, I was saying, no, I don't want to. And it happened anyways. And I feel really disgusted with how I responded afterwards, still seeking the attention and the love that I wanted from the relationship, even though he had totally non-consensually raped me. Right. Yeah. Well, Um, that makes, you know, I just want to pause here for a second because that happens to so many women. And it is almost the secondary shame that comes along with it. Why did, why did I do that? Or why didn't, in your case, you said no, but a lot of women will say yes, but they mean no. And so there's this residual uncomfortableness around that. And it makes so much sense from a cultural perspective why we would struggle to assert ourselves and also that desiring some feedback, desiring to feel love, desiring to connect yeah, it again. Connect, yeah, connect again to make it better, to get something out of it, to fix that. That yeah. So sorry yeah. to interrupt you. I just wanted to no. I'm sure so many women are listening to this and can really relate to that. So the positive thing that did come out of it that though, as I got older, I realized that I was never, ever going to do anything that wasn't a hundred percent. Yes. So that contributed to way longer bouts without sex or attempts to get me aroused that I was like, nope, not working. And we're not doing it. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever, I think that the metaphor for me was like, I didn't ever want to feel like a vessel just lying there again. And there were a few times where I really wasn't like, I started off being into it, but then kind of didn't. And then there were like a few times in our marriage where I then just lay there to let him finish. And you just felt horrible. Like it brought me right back to that place. And then I would tell him about it and of course he would feel terrible because obviously that's not what he's wanting out of an intimate connection with his wife and he actually feels really really angry um for what church and that boyfriend did to my perception acceptance understanding of what intimacy could be because it it really affected things, obviously, right? So now I, lo- now I lost my train of thought, though, because we were yeah, talking about how to get there. So I was always, I was always okay with not being, not being in the mood and saying I wasn't in the mood. So then hardly anything would happen ever unless there was like time and space. Like we, we would plan um, special weekends Um, and beg and pay people to come and stay with our kids so that we could get away. And then there was often alcohol involved that would help with inhibitions. So 
going back to pre-kids, there's often more alcohol involved in your lifestyle before kids and full-time jobs and whatnot, right? So there's that piece too, um, in terms of um, desire levels, I guess, right? Um, so how did I get to being okay with it? So I think it was that one friend who got me the vibrator and I realized how good it felt. And then to having some time and space to recognize that it was enjoyable. And then him being happy about that. And that kind of brought me back from mom mode and not feeling solely like a nursing care, co-sleeping provider to, I do have sensations and I do have a body and it does feel good to orgasm. And, but then that still didn't really bring us around to any kind of natural pattern. And, you know, we would try to create situations like we would take days off work we would both book sick days for the same time but then that was so much pressure right like okay we got the kids off to school I'll go have my shower and here you are naked waiting for me in the bed and I would hate it because it just felt like oh god like there's no like leading up naturally going into anything and then once we were having intercourse it was okay Mm -hmm. but it was definitely not ideal um I also think that body image also had a lot to do with it. So for me, my weight gain occurred even before kids, but for a lot of women, your body changes after kids. And then you're more embarrassed about the fat around your stomach or your lopsided breasts. <laughs> like, and so you start wearing more clothes and you're not, again, you're not as uninhibited. Like, wait, did I just make that a double negative? Like you're more inhibited. You're more inhibited because you're not feeling comfortable in your own skin for him to see, touch, explore together. If the, yeah. So if the purpose all along kind of had this underlying fulfilling his needs situation, and then you gain weight and now the the way he gets his needs fulfilled is by looking at you by touching you and then so you're starting to close off and wear more clothes yeah yeah but because the whole foundation was on shaky ground to begin with because the whole premise was that you were providing a need for him Mm -hmm. versus i have skin and my skin has nerve endings and it's about how it feels and there's zero need for it to look any way or for me to be a display of any sense. So uh-huh. it makes sense if that's the, and that's the premise of most people's sex life, the woman I support anyways. And so that would make sense if you gain weight or if your body changes after children, then it, it wouldn't work anymore. But did it work in the first place? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. So I was really toying with that because I was like, was I doing things back then because I really wanted to be doing those things? Was I doing them to please him or because of the media formula that I thought those were the things that I should be doing? But like, how did I go? Like, I know that I used to enjoy like 69 or like blowjobs were fine for me I didn't mind swallowing like all the things that often you do hear women complaining about that are not the most enjoyable for them I like didn't feel like I was being pressured into doing those things at the time I I did quite enjoy them so how did I go from enjoying them to not enjoying them or only enjoying them when I was in the mood but I was never able to get in the mood so how did that happen I don't know what 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 conclusions have we drawn I'm because I'm the I I would say I'm kind of an opposite situation so have you come to any realizations or revelations about that 
So some of it I think is maybe not being able to talk about it with other people with it being so taboo you would try to mention that not much was happening in the bedroom and then there would just be like jokes Mm -hmm. from from my sister or from close friends like of course of course you're touched out you're a mom like and so then that almost normalized not having the feelings like not having any desire feelings because I was being told that it was because of hormones and because of breastfeeding and because of co-sleeping and because of working and being a mom, right? So then you kind of just accepted that as a fact that all of a sudden desiring sex wasn't really possible or it wasn't, there wasn't potential for it at this stage. Because your circumstances... Uh, has changed and it's sort of a circumstantial situation where you don't have that freedom and the time and the uh, time to yourself as well Mm. and so of course you wouldn't want to have sex and so you just sort of settled into that narrative built into that and I think for me um I think what happened was my husband started talking more and more about what life would be like once all the kids were gone. And so he was saying like, I want us to still be just as connected and be enjoying a sex life and not just be waiting for them to be gone. And he very, like he shared very vulnerably how difficult it had been for him to be at the very bottom of the priority list for as long as he had right because my like my oldest now is 18 my youngest is seven that's a lot of years of being the bottom of the list so then that made me feel really guilty because I knew it was true that I had not been putting not just him but putting us and our relationship and our connection time together um, like as or sorry as like a priority like he definitely was at the very 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 bottom of the list as an afterthought and so when I realized how much that was hurting him to never be thought of and finally we were out of like the toddler phase by now right and then that was when Wim came across my Facebook feed when we were starting to have these conversations, like how do we get back to some semblance of connection and spending time together without the kids when we have no family support and we both work full time? Like, and so we started having more and more conversations about like, how do we want to prioritize our marriage? And for him, like, because at the time I was like, I'd be fine never having sex. And I hear lots of women say that too. I'd be fine never having sex. You're my best friend. You're my constant. I know uh, you would never leave me. He actually used to get really mad at me because I would never say, call him my best friend back because I had had so many best friends come and go Mm -hmm. that I was like, but you're so much more than that. And I never doubted that our trajectory would always be together. And then he said, but I don't want a trajectory that doesn't include sexual intimacy. And so then that rocked me to my core. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, and he was just like, that's just not how I want to live. Like he wasn't, he wasn't presenting it as like, I'm going to leave you then or anything, but he was just like, that's not what I want. Like, I need us to be able to be together. Right. And so thankfully Wim had come along right at that time. And with all that I learned through whim, with the whole definition of sex changing, if only, if only it had been 18 years ago and we saw intimacy and connection as being about so much more than penetrative sex, orgasm following the model of foreplay that led to this, things could have been very different different for those 18 years, right? 
So, yeah, gosh, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's mm. such an interesting, I'm always grappling with that knowledge that women are coming because of guilt. And I am, and it really, you, you so beautifully explained it. I have this husband who I love, we have a great life together. Often women will say it's our only issue. Yeah. Or it's the most pressing, pressing issue when you, when you. It's the only thing out. we thought about. Yeah. Like, honestly, we were always on the same page about everything else. Same values, same parenting, same everything. And we wouldn't get into big fights about it, but I just felt so guilty for mm-hmm. not wanting it more and that bothering him so much. Yeah. And then along came wanting it more. <laughs> It's so funny when I when I pr- was thinking about the what I really wanted out of a podcast. I was I was thinking I really just want to talk to wanting it more participants because we have the best conversations inside of the programs. And then I was worried, oh gosh, is it just going to become like a wanting it more infomercial or something? So if I know I was like, am I allowed to talk? You are about definitely it allowed because that is how we know each other, you know, and yeah. that is the, the that's the authentic truth. Well, and, and the conversations that you have with the women participants that you do the program with are the most in-depth, vulnerable conversations you probably ever have. Like. I remember we were having a conversation about cleanup after sex. And I was like, why have I never had this conversation with anyone else? And some people were sharing that they, they were very prepared. Like they would keep like towels and like wet washcloths beside the bed. And I'm like, someone had a, like a warmer, like a wiper. (laughs) I remember that. And I'm like, really? I just get the box between the legs and I walk to the bathroom. Like, but it's like, this is happening to everyone. Everyone is a sex, well, not everyone, because there are some people who are asexual, but a lot of people are having sex every day. (laughs) Why do we not talk about it more often? Right? I know. Like, how did it get so taboo? Oh. Well, luckily, we're changing that with this conversation. And that's the whole idea is that we just say the truth and just speak the facts and try not to be vague about things. That's what I'm always fighting is that feeling like I should just be vague. And we had a good time. What does that mean? What did you do? Who touched who? What happened? So it's... I'm really... And if people were able to be less vague or factual, imagine how much we could learn from each other. That's what I hope to bring on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So thank you for having the courage <laughs> to be one of my firsts. <laughs> Anytime. Okay, I feel like there is probably a woman listening who is saying, okay, like, you know, my kids are older. They're 12 and 13 and 14. Oh, my gosh. And your kids, well, you have a seven-year-old, but you're out of that newborn early days stage. Mm-hmm. What could we offer a woman right now who is in those really early days with a baby and a toddler and she is super touched out? And she's tired. We hear you, Mama. We're, we have mm-hmm. been there. Mm-hmm. We have been there. Yeah. It gets easier. That's what I always say. It gets easier. It the does. challenges are different, but that real intense. Eating. That you just can't. I, I remember someone saying it's like trying to brush your teeth while eating Oreos. <laughs> yes. Or trying to <gasps> clean your pants while you're walking through mud or something. It's yeah. just like you can never fully take a breath. You're just always doing. So I have an idea because for us to just say to women, well, you just have to make time for that sexual intimacy and connection. That's going to sound horrible to them because that's the last thing on their priority list. Yeah, They don't want to provide another need for another person. 
They're no. maxed out. Mm-hmm. So I think the advice that we could offer would be for them to think about something that they could do with their husband that would bring them pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't need to be something physical. It could be making time to have four sips of coffee together in the morning. Or um, maybe even we could quickly share the concept of simmering, Mm -hmm. where you're literally just holding on to your partner, being close, smelling his neck. I actually like underarm smell. I'm with you. I'm with you, Melissa. Yeah, right? It feels Um, like uh, when I'm feeling kind of depressed for mm -hmm. some reason, it really, I think pheromones do play a part. So just like I thinking about not, and I don't even think you could say for 10 minutes because 10 minutes is too long. It literally needs to be like one minute a day. Mm-hmm. What can you do with your partner? Sometimes one minute might be all you get when you're laying the baby down on, on a blanket and running to the washroom, right? Like it could just be one minute, but what could you do? with your husband, whether it be holding his hand, squeezing his shoulder, having him hold the small of your back, cradle your head, um, kiss you on the nose, on the cheek, right? It doesn't mean, I'm not talking about something sexual at all, but what can you do with your husband for one minute a day that is going to bring you some pleasure and connection? and help you remember the love that you do share, right? Because just those tiny little moments will be a little more soul fulfilling than nothing, than just making it through the motions of every day. I always like to go to as well, that was so good. It's, this is, I would say this is also a complex cultural issue where women have no time to themselves. Yep. That we have to sort of beg and plead and go grocery shopping to have time on our own. And still feel guilty about it. And still feel guilty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a bigger, it's a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. And so within the context of that, acknowledging the bigger problem so that women don't feel like it's them that's broken because they aren't, they work fine, they're just in the wrong cultural framework. And the circumstances of new motherhood and redefining who you are as a person don't really provide the opportunities for sexual experiences that are fulfilling to you to happen because of the narrow definition of culturally what is expected from a wife, the duty to meet the needs of her husband. So then that's gonna cause you to completely recoil and not wanna have to do anything because why should you have to when you're bringing these little babies to life. I know. And that is your primary role One when they're that, that little. One thing that always kind of irks me and really, really frustrates me is that whole conversation around six weeks, six weeks postpartum, you're now cleared to have sex. I was watching, I was on Instagram and there was a reel about that. Like they're dancing because the six week checkup and now they can have sex. And I thought, what? Like now he can put his penis in you, but that shouldn't define sex. That like a mother six weeks, you know, post or before that two weeks, one, one hour, she's, she needs nourishment. She needs to be held. She needs to be safe. She needs to be served and supported and, you know, and, and, and touched. And if she wants, but not in the needy touch, not in the providing touch. 
I was just going to say the providing, the giving touch. She needs to be, yeah, that's she exactly it. She needs to be cradled. Like as she cradles her baby, mm-hmm. she needs that safe, love, tender affection that is not requiring anything of her. And that is not part of the traditional viewpoint of sex. And no wonder (laughs) women are not wanting and enjoying sex after kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So finding, finding those moments of nourishment and also I would say giving yourself permission to say that sex that I, that, that sex we were having before, that one that I was providing and meeting all your needs, I'm going to say no to that now. I'm really done with that. Now it's time for me to take and not take what you want to give because you think it's hot and exciting, <laughs> <laughs> but actually discover what touch is nourishing for you as an individual. And that takes time. It also takes um, a willingness to change the definition of what you think intimacy should be too, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, it's so ingrained in us that intimacy is penis in vagina for heterosexual couples mm-hmm. um, that even opening up your mind to the possibilities of other nourishing physical touches that aren't all ramped up super fast, hot, heavy, leading to orgasm. Like it almost doesn't even cross your mind that that's a possibility for intimate connection and pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like listening to my husband's heartbeat over a soft cotton shirt, not even on his naked chest, but a soft cotton shirt that feels so soft on my cheek, listening to his heartbeat. Maybe his leg is, you know, we were laying down and his leg is on my thigh, resting very relaxed and not needy and gropey and moving. Mm -hmm. That could potentially, or it could be an experience in itself, or it could potentially have my body saying, hmm, that's nice. That's, that's wonderful. What, what else may feel wonderful in this one minute I have with my partner? I just want women leaving who are in those early days to leave with some relief. I want them to be able to let down a little of that burden. So and it's not okay. feel like it's and not feel like it's their fault. Not like, their fault. That they're in the wrong for not wanting to provide the old the old way of meeting his needs yeah they're a little busy they're a little busy with other things they're a little busy with other needs other people's needs yes and so when I hear about women talk about this that sex changed after kids or their desire tanked after kids or they just didn't feel like a sexual person anymore but the problem was that they had kids and then now they have to sort of fix that or change that or that's the problem. But what if the problem always was there and that having kids simply highlighted? So in that sense, it's not a problem. It's actually an invitation to create something that's just more uh, authentic, more equitable, more, more nourishing, more nourishing, more more of what you need because now you it's so highlighted that you need that now. That when you are giving so much on a twenty four seven basis to another human being and keeping them alive and loved and all of that, that that now it leaves this whole gap in your life that actually can be filled with something uh, safe and comfortable and relaxing. And that doesn't, I feel like really a bit worried that we're making it seem a little bit simplistic, you know, like this takes time and it takes a mindset shift and 
Um, I don't ever want to give women the impression that it's like a simple three-step process. Just put on some lingerie, buy a vibrator, and, and, you know, put it on the calendar every Friday night. It's just not that, um, it's just, it's just not that simple. No, and, and with everything that bombards us in the media, um, if porn has been involved in any way, um, cultural expectations of what women are, or even religious expectations of what women are supposed to provide for their husbands, like all of that can't just be undone with a snap of the fingers, right? And so peeling back the layers of all that toxic soup is going to take a while and it's going to take a lot of work, mm-hmm. but it's so worth it to get to a place where it's not about penetration and orgasm because that's very fleeting when you think about it in terms of how many minutes it lasts. Not even, yeah, a couple of contractions. (laughs) A couple of contractions later and you don't even have a baby from it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Melissa, I don't know how open you feel but I'm wondering just to wrap us up here if you would feel comfortable sharing in however vague or detailed way what a sexual experience looks like for you now so if you think of something sort of average but you know experience that you leave thinking that was that was good I could do that again well like how specific do you want me to get in terms of as like comfortable as you are? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so having been through the program and adopting the model of having regular exploration dates each week, I can go into a time that is specifically set aside and designed for us to have alone time together. It's not to be interrupted, though sometimes it does still get interrupted by the kids, of course. Of course. You, you can't have all control, right? But um, but you, uh, you have a way to deal with those interruptions, I'm guessing? Yes, mm. yes. So I think, I think before WIM, if we were starting to connect physically in any way and things were maybe leading towards um, body parts being touched and there was an interruption, then that would just halt everything. And then it felt like too much work to go back to the beginning to get turned on enough again to continue. Um, now, because I go into our exploration dates knowing that there is no expectation of intercourse and orgasm it completely takes all pressure for any kind of formula to be on the table but the interesting thing is is that I still often follow a formula because that's what feels most pleasurable and nourishing to me. Yes. That's and why it's so, not about the outcome. It's about the intention going in. And the outcome almost always does for us because we didn't have a lot of safety issues that we were having to work through or communication issues that we were having to work through. Like we were already in a really good place. It was just this one area that, I just wasn't wanting. <laughs> um, it often, it often does still lead to orgasm, um, but it's not. It's very rarely from intercourse anymore, um, because that was another thing I mentioned. I didn't mention in terms of our of body changing after having four kids, really, really big babies. My my biggest child was 10-3. It just feels so much more open 
down there. So the sensations are totally different. So what used to work before, whether it was me on top or him on top, like it just doesn't feel as good. So we have had to really experiment with different positions, like from behind or often there's actually no going in my body at all. Mm-hmm. Um, unless yeah. it's the vibrator or his fingers, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's um, but all of a sudden that's okay. Like I'm not feeling like I'm not feeling like I should be doing something, or, or it's a deficiency or, or something, or putting up with it or... to see if it will start feeling better. Like if it doesn't feel good, I say this doesn't this isn't doing anything for me. Let's try something different. And before that would have halted everything. And that would have been the end of that. And how awful for him with that kind of rejection and, you know, always trying to think of what he could do to feel good for me. Like that is a ridiculous expectation. Yeah. Why, why do we think or how did this come to be? It's probably another topic for another podcast. Oh, I love it. I'm writing it down now. (laughs) How did it come to be that men were expected to know what to do to pleasure a woman's body? Yeah. Right. A unique woman's body. A unique woman's body that changes every experience because you can like, you can like your nipples being tweaked one week and not even want your breasts touched the next week, right? And so how awful for them to constantly be guessing. So in the exploration dates now, there is no guessing. We have set things that I have shared with him that I know I always like. I like my butt being grabbed a certain way. I like the spaghetti strap, my tank top being moved and touch all around my breasts. But So there's certain things that are a given and anything else is directed by me. So there's never a feeling of, am I going to like this? Or for him, is she going to like this? Is she going to shut down? And if something does happen, because sometimes a touch will, you know, trigger some kind of emotion or just not feel right in your body. And now I don't just shut down and completely end things. Now I'm able to take a pause, reset, smell his armpit, armpit, have a cuddle, and then we move forward from there again, right? Whereas before I could never do that because it just felt like it had to be a certain way or the ultimate way. And so then if it wasn't feeling the way I thought it should be feeling, then it was a hard no and too bad, so sad. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, mm-hmm. that sounds delightful. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I even find now that leading up to like the day before leading up to that exploration date, I'm having all the feelings of wanting more because I'm so looking forward to it. So sometimes we do things two days in a row because all of a sudden, like that desire is back again. So that's what we need to tell new mamas that it will come back and there is a way to construct, design and facilitate your sexual experiences so that they can be fulfilling, non-pressured, totally led by your own pleasure. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Melissa, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are you, so welcome. So fun listening to you talk. You're a natural at this. <laughs> I am definitely going to be asking you to come back. We already have a topic. To All right. About. Oh, and then we can totally talk about um, how to talk about all this with your kids. Yes. Because that's how we change the cultural taboo, right? And we can talk about purity culture, religion. Ooh, so mm-hmm. much good is coming up mm-hmm. very, very soon. All right. Well, dear listener, thank you for coming on this journey with us. I hope that you feel relief. 
I hope you feel not alone. And I hope you feel normal. The more we can just be honest and real, and all those women who love vibrators are just feeling so validated right now. <laughs> all right. Thank you again, Melissa. And we'll talk to everyone very, very soon. Take care. If you've enjoyed this episode, I have a favor to ask of you. It's really hard to get the word out about a podcast about sex. What would really, really help is if you would leave a rating and a review. And I know that you get asked this all the time in different podcasts, but please, I beg you, it would really, really help so that more women who need this message will hear it. All you have to do is go into your Apple podcast app. It's the purple icon. And if you go to the podcast page where it shows my face, and has a little button that says latest episodes. If you scroll down past the episodes and you get to a section called ratings and reviews, there's a little purple writing thing that says write a review. If you click on that, it will ask you to give it a five stars. Actually, you can put any stars, but five is what I would love. And put a title and then write your review. Thank you so much for supporting this little venture here and I really am so grateful. If you are curious about wanting it more and how this program could help you want and enjoy sex more with your husband and you feel like it may be a great next step for you, you can go to janadentonhouse.com slash wanting it more to sign up for the waitlist, to learn more to see when we're running our next round. All right, that's it. I'll see you next one.